What's up and welcome into the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson coming to you from the Auctioner Sports Performance Center inside Studio B. Hope this Monday finds you well and hope everyone had a great weekend. If you're a football fan here in the Crescent City, I think you did as both LSU and the Saints won. Congratulations to the Tigers 3-0 now in the top 10 after a big win over Auburn. On Saturday, Cole Tracy, the man with a game-winning field goal for LSU. And I think in the game on Sunday, the Browns could have used a little Cole Tracy, unfortunately, with Zane Gonzalez missing two extra points and two field goals. Very costly to the Browns as the Saints survive a close one with Cleveland 21-18. to I don't think Saints fans would have been happy if that Bud Light cooler would have unlocked in Cleveland uh, for their first win on the road in a few years and their first win in a very long time, but the Saints do get the win 21 to 18, and it was a little slow at the beginning. I would say not just the beginning, but for about three and a half quarters, um, not a lot going on as the Browns were up 12-3 for a little bit, and then things got going for both the Saints and the Browns. Of course, the Browns had that big uh, touchdown pass on fourth down, Tyrod Taylor, to tie the game at 18, but then unfortunately again, Zane Gonzalez with the missed extra point. Then the Saints were able to storm down the field and get that field goal to go up 21-18. The Browns, though, were able to get a shot at tying the game and forcing overtime. But then Mr. Gonzalez came up short uh, for a game for game tying field goal. And the Saints do survive and move to 1-1. One and, one, and now take on the Dirty Birds on next Sunday, or this coming Sunday, um, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Not Mercedes-Benz Superdome, but Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. This will be the first road test for the Saints this season, and we'll hear from Nick Underhill from The Advocate and John DeShazer of NewOrleansSaints.com. So we'll touch on a lot of things on today's show. Of course, the defense is still a hot topic uh, for the Saints as they did show signs of improvement from week one, but we're also starting to see what type of team the Buccaneers might be after their big win over the Eagles this week. But we'll talk to Nick and JD about that. The secondary is still having a few issues, but I feel like the defensive line showed a lot of improvement. And again, still holding a team to 18 points. I don't care which team it is. Um, I think it was a good sign for the Saints heading into week three. The offense, I think, did struggle a little bit after their impressive performance in week one. Uh, not a lot going on in the running game, but Alvin Kamara continues to be a threat in the backfield. And then, of course, Michael Thomas, unbelievable, setting the franchise record for uh, most receptions in the first two games of a season. Uh, just killing it out there. Unbelievable start for Michael Thomas, and he just makes it look so easy no matter where he is on the field, where he catches the ball between his speed and his size and his toughness. Michael Thomas pretty hard to stop and say he's going to be climbing up there as one of the top wide receivers in the game if he keeps this up. So we'll cover a variety of topics regarding the Saints' win over the Browns this week, and then again we'll preview Saints and Falcons week number three. How about the beginning how about the division now? You have all four teams at or above 500, as the Falcons did defeat the Carolina Panthers yesterday, 31-24. to As I mentioned, the Buccaneers take down the defending champs, being the Philadelphia Eagles and Ryan Fitzpatrick with four TDs on the day for Tampa Bay. So Carolina, New Orleans, Atlanta, all at 1-1. One and, one. and who would have thought that the Jameis Winston-less Tampa Bay Buccaneers would sit atop the NFC South heading into Week 3? But now the Buccaneers get the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday night. And, of course, Saints-Falcons Sunday afternoon in Atlanta. All right, 
Let's discuss yesterday's game with John DeShazer and Nick Gunderhill. The Black and Blue Report is yours, and it starts right now. This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio, wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Daniel Sellerson. As we mentioned, time now to continue our recap of Saints and Browns. The Saints beat the Browns yesterday in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome 21-18. Nick Underhill from The Advocate joins us as well as John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com. And I'll start with Nick. Nick, you touched on this in one of your recaps um, yesterday after the game about the mood in the locker room. Yes, it was a victory, but for you, it, it kind of seemed like it didn't feel like one after after the game yesterday. Yeah, I think for this team, they kind of view it as if, you know, their goals are a lot higher than just beating the Browns and starting one-on-one. You know, they, they want to be deep in the playoffs, contend for a Super Bowl. You know, they got the banner out there, prove them right, which kind of says where their head's at. In yesterday's game, I think, was below standard. They left 14 points on the field. or 11 points on the field on the first two drives. Should have scored two touchdowns. They, they left with one field goal. And then, you know, you have the breakdown at the end of the game, and I just think I think a lot of those things uh, didn't play out how, how they wanted to, and it, it kind of resonated in the tone when they talked about the game. Did you sense that tone in the locker room as well? And kind of, I know you touched on it yesterday in Twitter, that, yes, it wasn't a pretty win, but you rather you rather win ugly than lose pretty. Yeah, I mean, you want to win, but, look, that there was nothing for these guys to be doing backflips over. Um, that was not clean by any means or any stretch of the imagination. They... I don't want to say they hung their heads, but certainly I don't think anybody was doing backflips either. I mean, they, as Nick said, they have a standard they want to play to, and they didn't play to it whatsoever. Um, really, really fortunate to get out with a win, and, you know, that's one of the things that Coach Payton talked about after the game, saying, you know, you can't play this way later on in games that are significant against better opposition because, let's be frank, Cleveland was not out there. It didn't look like Cleveland was playing to win. Looked like Cleveland was playing it safe and just trying to keep it close and hoping as opposed to being aggressive. And um, the way the Saints played yesterday, uh, that just was not up to up to standard to to beat some of the teams that they want to beat and to be the team that they want to be. Nick, I was a little surprised with the offense yesterday after how they looked against Tampa Bay, putting up 40 points against the Bucks. You put up only 21 against the Browns, and you just saw some missed throws by Breeze. You didn't see the running game get going a lot. What did you observe uh, from an offensive standpoint yesterday against Cleveland? Yeah, that, that was the biggest surprise to me because, like you said, after that Tampa Bay game, I, I thought the offense was, was had gelled and they were ready to get going. And, you know, I think it just started off bad. They had they had a Ted Ginn uh, on a deep route, should have been a touchdown. Austin Carr, well, he, he drew a pass interference penalty, ball hit him right in the nameplate, and, and, or right in the chest plate, and falls out, and then they don't score there. This Ben Watson on a wide open throw in the end zone, which you know all those things are out of character. I, I don't think it's long term concern. You know, there's this reaction that you know because Breeze missed one deep throw, his his arm strength is gone, and it's time to worry. I'm definitely not there yet. His arm looked good in week one, and he's missed throws like that since 2006. I mean, if you watch those old games, he's under throwing deep passes even back then. You know, 45, 50% on those throws is a good percentage. So I do think it'll bounce back. 
as far as the running game, you know, I, I think this is probably how it's going to look for the next two weeks. I think they're missing Mark Ingram tremendously. As good as Alvin Kamara is, you know, he's not the guy to go out there and two tight ends, two running back sets, and, and pound the ball up the middle and get four or five yards every run. He's, you know, he needs a little bit of space to operate, and you know, that, that's that's when he looks at his best. So I think they kind of got to just grin and bear it and, and hope for the best for the next two weeks, and then get Ingram back and, and hope it works out because. You know, with Gillisley and Jonathan Williams, you know, it's just, it's not the same. They're, they're missing a huge element of the offense there. And I think they're missing a huge element of their, their locker room with Ingram being out. You know, I think he's, he's the heart of the team. And, you know, I, I just think that, that motivation and his personality, I, I think that is something that, that's also lacking a little bit. I was going to ask you about the running game, GD. I'm glad Nick brought it up as far as the attempts for Alvin Kamara, only 21 in the first two games. Any concerns with that? Or is it, like he said, just kind of more of, waiting to see it when Mark Ingram comes back, that might change? Or how would you uh, dissect the running game right now? Well, I think it's all of that. Plus, I, I'll add in that, you know, the, the swing passes and screen passes to Alvin Kamara are essentially long handoffs. I mean, I think they would look at, from that standpoint, this is part of the running game, short passes to Kamara to hopefully get him in space that way and get some yards that way. Uh, Jonathan Williams and Mike Gillisley, unfortunately, when those guys are on the field right now, you pretty much know what the Saints are going to do offensively. You know that they're probably going to run it, whereas when Mark Ingram's out there, Mark has become enough of a receiving threat uh, through a lot of hard work to where they remain multidimensional when he's on the field. But again, when Williams and Gillisley are out there, the Saints are kind of pigeonholed as to what they can do offensively because those guys aren't the receiving threat. So, you know, to get those extra attempts, I think the short passes to Kamara are their run attempts in some cases. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Um, we saw last week how the defense uh, did not play so well against Tampa Bay, and that's just putting it lightly as they let up 48 points. Uh, not all those were the defenses. One was a turnover, but still uh, lots of points at Tampa Bay. But then this week I thought they looked pretty solid up until the end there where they let Cleveland back into the game. Nick, what did you see on the defensive standpoint that left you intrigued after week two? 57 minutes were great. Uh, yeah. I think J.D. nailed it earlier, though, when he said they were kind of playing conservatively and trying not to make mistakes. It felt like a lot of their, their passes were short passes over the middle. It didn't feel like they tried a lot outside the numbers. And, hey, that might be a credit to how well Marshawn Lattimore and Ken Crowley were covering. It's, you know, when we rewatch the game, we'll, we'll probably get a better gauge on why some of that was happening. But, you know, it, it's tough situationally. You look at that last play, and, and it's, bad the, the long touchdown uh some type of coverage buzz that i don't really know who is the blame there seemed like there should have been two deep players and suddenly you know nobody picked up antonio callaway off the line and he's right on crawley so I, I don't know who made the mistakes but one way or another you know things like that can't happen but then on the other hand it's like they gave up 18 points and 18 points is great and should be good enough with this offense and it was good enough but it shouldn't have been so close so you know, you saw the pass rush, the run defense looked better, the linebackers looked better. Everything looked really good right up until the end. And, you know, that, those are the kind of things that, that can't keep happening. And maybe it was fixed or maybe it was just finally that was when the uh, secondary series finally got tested and, and the wheels came off a little bit. But, you know, overall, I, I do think it was a step forward, but I think there's more work to do. Let's continue with the secondary with Marcus Williams. He had one of the biggest plays of the game um, with the interception you feel like after everything that happened kind of at the end there that that was kind of a huge play for him as far as his growth and progression with the team? Yeah, it seems to be. I mean, he seems to be a kid who's who's confident. And 
I don't know if if you ever move on from a play like he had in Minneapolis. And I know he, you know, he's addressed it as many times as he wants to address it. Right. And again, he looked fantastic in training camp. But still, I mean, if you're human, that's got to be with you at some point in time in your life. I mean, you just don't forget that kind of play. But he did come up with a pretty significant one yesterday. Uh, he's a really good center fielder. I don't think the Saints have had a center fielder like him, but, you know, Maybe since I guess you know Sammy Knight or something, which is you know a long time <laughs> to go between having guys who can actually play the football and get it in their hands and do something with it. So I mean, he basically kind of baited Tyrod Taylor and got and got and got you know stepped into the passing lane and, and comes up with a big pick at a time where the Saints need it because it's a, sec- a second and four situation in Cleveland. And was moving the ball a little bit, you know, Tyrod Taylor on the scramble and that kind of thing. And and Cleveland had the lead, so he gave them, you know, basically a short field, only 18 yards to drop it a touchdown. Uh, they were able to score the touchdown, take the lead. And so, yeah, Marcus came up with a huge play, and, and it's going to boost his confidence, uh, boost the confidence of the defense because the defense hadn't forced a turnover, uh, didn't get a sack until yesterday, but managed to get three of them yesterday. So hopefully they'll continue to build on that. But, yeah, I, I'm with Nick from the standpoint of, those late busts defensively in the secondary, that scares you because now you're talking about, you know, it only takes a play or a mental bust for everything to come crashing down. And it almost did. I mean, you know, you give up the long touchdown. Um, they get, you know, in the last couple of seconds of the game, Callaway catches another uh, pass and gets out of bounds in front of Crawley. When all Crawley's got to do is tackle him inbounds. And, and Peyton was saying, you know, hey, we're playing outside leverage there. We're trying to keep the guy inbounds, tackle him inbounds, and clock runs out. They don't do it and put Cleveland in a position where they could have kicked a game tie and field goal. So, you know, those are the things that worry you uh, when you talk about finishing out and understanding situation and being able to play the proper technique and schemes. And, and those are the things that bother you a little bit when you watch the Saints. Yeah, they were fortunate to get out with one, but you come up with those kinds of mental errors that you have to reflect back on. Always better to be able to do it in, in a win instead of a loss, but still – something that you'd like to see cleaned up. I'm glad you mentioned the, the three sacks by the defensive line, Nick. I wanted to get into that because uh, they didn't put any pressure on Ryan Fitzpatrick in week one. Did you see at least a little bit of improvement? I guess the three sacks would be compared to week one, but did you see a little more optimism from the defensive line from yesterday? Yeah, I did. I, I thought they did a lot better. Uh, the thing with that, that first game, too, is Fitzpatrick only had six throws where he had the ball for 2.5 seconds or longer, which makes it really, really hard to get after the quarterback. And then also with them beating Philadelphia yesterday, that whole game is kind of taking on a, a different context. It, it's not as bad of a loss, not as bad of a performance. Still a lot of terrible things that happened in that game as far as how the Saints executed it and, and performed. But, you know, I just think that, that Tampa Bay looks a lot more respectful than they did. But as far as the pass rush, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you saw Sheldon Rankins. He, he had a sack where, you know, he just bull rushed his guy back, got off the block, and then, and then you know, dropped uh, Tyrod Taylor as he was trying to escape the pocket. Kim Jordan, you know, was getting off it and, and doing some things. You know, I'm not sure how much I noticed Marcus Davenport in the pass rush, but as far as his run defense, I thought he looked really good. He had three or four really good plays. You know, as far as contain and backside pursuit, and I think that bodes well for him going forward. Just because you know, when they're talking about him being a raw player and everything, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, okay, maybe he'll be a situational pass rusher, but he's showing you know elements of of already early on being an every down player. And you know, in college, he played standing up, so you know, 
I, I'm obviously wrong, but my initial thought was that he's going to struggle a little bit and run defense because you're down now and you aren't looking up and you can't see the whole field. But, you know, he, he's got a very good feel for it. He's, he's made plays all along since that second or third preseason game when he, when he made his debut. You know, he kind of flashed there and it's continued moving forward. So I do think that there's a lot of good things going on, uh, you know, or were going on with the pass rush in this game that we didn't see in the first game. It's still you need to see more. You know, I think it needs to be more consistent and more more pressure overall. And, you know, that's probably going to be a theme going forward. I'm not sure Alex Okafor is all the way back to his form. It's a, I think he's working his way up to it. But, you know, if they get everybody going, at some point the pieces are there, I think, for, for the pass rush to be better than it was a year ago. All right, I'm going to ask you both this question, and I'll start with J.D. Team is 1-1. One one. Your biggest concern with this team right now heading into Week 3? Um, my biggest concern is mental bust in the secondary because I I think the the offense is you know it's going to be what it is. The offense is going to come around. They're not going to be as good as they were against Tampa. You're not going to score forty a, a game, but they're not going to be what they were against Cleveland either. They're probably somewhere in the middle, uh, which is where they traditionally have been under Sean Payton, a, a really a, a effective offense. I'm not that worried about the running game to be honest with you because. Again, those you know short passes to Kamara are kind of their run game, uh, so to speak. I know it's not the traditional one, and you know you want to be able to bow up and get that third and two and run it and that kind of thing. But you know f- whatever works for this team, they just want to keep the offense on the field. So I'm not that worried about that. But the secondary busts do concern me because, again, it can it can wipe out a lot of good if you make that one mental error or two back there, where a game should be pretty much decided, and all of a sudden. Uh, it's up in the air, and they have not played, I don't think, great in the secondary the first two games again. Now, Cleveland's not throwing it around like, like Tampa was, but, you know, you just had the late bust and that, and that you know, where Callaway, Callaway gets the touchdown on fourth down, of all things. Yep. And that's, <laughs> you know, that's the one that you look at and say, okay, what's going on back there that you guys aren't on the same page on this play, which is so critical in this game? And those are the things that bother me, especially when you're talking about Next up is Atlanta and Julio Jones and and that crew. Uh, after that is is the Giants and the Giants are struggling a little bit right now, but you know they've got Odell Beckham Jr. Right. who can do it to anybody. So those are the things that concern me going forward because I think you know they've been outside of the first quarter against Tampa, they've been pretty decent against the run. Uh, but you know that that pass defense is is what would concern me right now. Nick. Yeah, I'm with J.D. I mean, as far as the offense, one day it's no longer going to be true to say this, but right now, you know, the offense is always going to be okay. They're going to figure it out. They, they can score points. You know, Drew Brees is still good. Sean Payton is still a great play designer. All that's going to fix itself. I think it's the secondary, too, and I'd like to go somewhere else and get a different answer, but, I mean, that defense is built for the front seven to be just fine. They don't have to be great, but the secondary is supposed to be the strength of the defense, and right now it is not the strength of the defense. And until they figure that out, I, you know, that's scary. Dude. That that last play could, you know, it just feels like it, it could happen over and over until we, we see we see other evidence. You know, those are the black spots that were happening in week one, and then you see it in week two when they finally start trying to go down the field. So they got to figure it out, and. I don't know why why it's like that. You know, it's not like Lattimore and Crowley and Marcus Williams and Von Bell. You know, Kirk Coleman and Patrick Robinson are the only new elements to the to the defense, and Kirk Coleman's not an every down player right now. So it's just odd that they aren't on the same page. And 
they should be. I mean, these guys did very well last year, and they need to figure that out very quickly because, as you guys said, I mean, every week it's like there's a, there's a Pro Bowl wide receiver that they're going to have to face, and that Pro Bowl wide receiver it will just tear them apart over and over if, if they don't if they don't find a way to fix that. I mean, I think the fix is there. They have the players. They should have the talent. It's just they got to get it sorted out, and everybody needs to get on the same page. All right, before I let you both go, um, since I won't talk to you all until next week, or at least J.D., that is, uh, let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons a little bit, who got back on track yesterday beating Carolina in Atlanta 31-24. to They did get some red zone scoring from Matt Ryan, unlike week number one against the Eagles. So two teams, one and one, big divisional game in week three. J.D., I'll start with you. What are going to be some of the key things for the Saints to do in order to walk out of Atlanta with a victory? Well, when you get on the road, you better be able to control the ball some and control the clock. You want to keep that Atlanta offense off the field. I understand uh, that they had struggled in the red zone. I get that, but they seem to have figured out something yesterday and were able to score in the red zone. But you know, mostly you want to be able to hold on to the ball a little bit because you want to keep those guys on the sideline. Matt Ryan, uh, as erratic as he can be from time to time, when he's got it going, he can get it going. And then we know what Julio Jones can do. And now he's got some help. He's got Sanu out there with him. And he's got Ridgely out there. So he's got some guys that he can go with. And the Falcons run the ball pretty good. So you want to keep those guys kind of on the sideline and, and, and hopefully put them in a catch-up mode as opposed to playing catch-up on the road. It's always harder harder to play catch-up on the road. The Saints have played catch-up and done it pretty well in the first two games. But that's at home. When everybody's on your side and you can get a little momentum rolling, it's harder to do that on the road. So they need to be able to, you know, to, to keep it close and hopefully have a lead that they can maintain uh, by controlling the ball on offense. Nick? I'll just go back to the last answer. They're, they're going to have to be able to cover. They have a lot of weapons. Uh, defense just needs to be, you know, in sync, not out of sorts. And, you know, it's kind of like, like Kamara said after the game yesterday. Right now it's like the Saints are playing the Saints every week. You know, it's September – Kind of like the extended preseason. I don't think, you know, teams are what they're going to be for the rest of the season this early in the year. I think they're still kind of figuring out that identity and everything. But, you know, from what we've seen coming up against a good good offense, that, that process needs to speed up pretty quick this, this week. All right, we'll see how it goes. Nick Underhill from The Advocate, John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com. Of course, you can uh, see all of, of Nick's work with The Advocate, and he does a great job with them. We look forward to seeing more of his work throughout the season. Guys, I really appreciate it, and let's see if the – the Saints can get another one on the road uh, this week. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Again, a big thanks to Dick Underhill and John DeShazer. Time to wrap things up here from Studio B. Of course, the lineup throughout the rest of the week doesn't change. Sean Kelly will have the Black and Blue Report for you on Wednesday. And then the girls will get you ready for Saints and Falcons. Cindy Robinson, Caroline Gonzalez, and Ashley Amos will have another great show for you on Friday as we get ready again for Division Rivalry Game Three for both the Saints and the Falcons, and they'll collide in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Sunday afternoon. I'll have a recap for you on Monday, hopefully talking about a Saints victory, but we'll also throw in some Pelicans on Monday too, as Media Day uh, will take place on Monday here at Auctioner Sports Performance Center. I can't believe it that we are about less than two weeks away from the preseason opener on September 30th in Chicago against the Bulls, and I know um, Mario Jerez and I, who are getting ready for the Pelican season right now, once media day hits, our lives are over, by the way. Just kidding. It will be a lot of fun. Looking forward to seeing what the Pelicans have in store for this season. We'll get Jim Eikenhoff's thoughts on that next Monday. Kind of things to look out for during training camp here. 
um, as uh, we'll get ready for the game against the Bulls on September 30th. But again, recap of Saints-Falcons, getting ready for Pelicans Media Day, and of course, again, our team will get you ready for the Saints and Falcons throughout the week. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Try to stay cool. Again, the heat continues to be here in the Crescent City. Stay cool. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. Black and Blue Report, presented by CT.